Welcome. You're listening to Midweek in the Word Sunday Recap. Happy birthday, Brad. Well, thank you. <laughs> Today is your birthday. So um, any big plans for your birthday? Um, my kids have assured me it's all a surprise. Oh, Whenever that's I ask exciting. them what's taking place, we'll probably celebrate on the 1st because that's my okay. day off. That's right. Um, so Thursday is is the first, so we'll probably celebrate that. And I know they've got something planned for Wednesday night. I okay. don't know exactly what. Whenever I ask them what I'm getting for my birthday or what we're doing, they they say rubber ducky. That's like their plan. That's it's code in our family. I was going to say this sounds like a Myers code. Yeah, it was a thing that kind of I don't remember where it came from exactly, but it was something that we were trying to tell teach Josiah. Okay. How to keep a surprise. Oh. And it was something where we said instead of telling them what they're getting for their birthday or whatever, yeah. you tell them rubber ducky. And for whatever reason, it's just stuck. I love so it. now the kids, whenever they're supposed to, like whenever I try to find out what I'm getting for my birthday, it's rubber ducky. Rubber ducky. That's great. Well, I hope you guys have a great family celebration. I, ex- I expect we will. It'll be it'll be fun. And I'm, we're excited. Next week, I'm probably going to ask you, what was the real rubber ducky? Ah, uh, yes. want to know I, what the surprise I, is. I will probably share. It. I never know what I'm going to get for my birthday. When you... When you give a you know a six year old, a four year old, a three year old, mm-hmm. and gave not so much at eighteen mm-hmm. months, but when you give them a little bit of opportunity to buy what they want, yeah. you never know what you're going to get. Yeah, well, it's really sweet. Kids always pick up on the sweetest things, so they I'm do. sure they're going to spoil their daddy. I'm looking forward to it. It'll be a fun day. Well, good. Okay, so Sunday's message. Yeah. Could you recap it for us? What did we talk about? Yeah, I mean, it was it was it was all about the mission. It was all about the Great Commission. Um, Paul, uh, as he talks about surrendering his rights at the beginning of chapter 9, we talked about that two weeks ago, um, he's saying, that here's my example of how I've laid down my rights for you, uh, the Corinthian church. Then the later part of the chapter, he gives kind of the motivation for it. Like He's like, why am I willing to lay down my rights? Why is this such a big deal so that me defending my right to be paid uh, isn't more important than this? And we talked about how making the mission primary and our rights secondary is critical as believers. And so there was there was three points on Sunday from the latter half of 1 Corinthians 9. Uh, the first one is that we need to embrace Paul's desire in gospel preaching, right? Paul's desire, his joy, his celebration, his boasting is the word that's used in the ESV, is in the fact that he was able to lay down his rights to see the gospel go forward. The joy is in, in the gospel going forward. The joy is in other people being able to share in the blessing of knowing Christ and, and, and them coming to Christ and that idea. So that's Paul's desire, and that needs to be our desire as well as we pursue that, not not to hold on to our rights, but to release our rights for the sake of others hearing the gospel. Um, then Paul went on and he talked about, and we talked about Paul's disposition in gospel preaching. What was his mindset? What was his mentality? We talked about how Paul really embraced a servant-minded mentality that like when it comes to trying to win other people for Christ, um, sometimes we have a tendency to be a little bit combative. Like we want to be like, I can defeat you into being a believer. Well, that's not typically how people come to a saving knowledge of Christ. I'm not saying we water down the message, but we serve them um, instead of fighting them. You know, and it's there's there's an enemy. I mean, Ephesians makes very clear that we we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, right? And and that's a reality. Um, but those people have been taken captive. Like they they are willfully sinning. They are rebelling against God. There's no denying that. Um, but seeing them as lost rather than as the enemy is really critical if you're going to serve them in the pursuit of seeing them come to a saving knowledge of Christ. And so so Paul has this servant-minded disposition that he exercises that we talked about. And then lastly, Paul's dedication. And the end of the section, Paul, 
I love this illustration of, you know, running a race, of of boxing the air. You know, it's yeah. clear that Paul was familiar with sport, and sport in the ancient Greek world wasn't that different than it is today. You know, I mean, they had the Olympics and athletics and all that, and they were really about those things, kind of like yeah. we are as well. But Paul's like, it's like the dedication. You should have the same sort of dedication pursuing the mission as you have in those athletic pursuits, you know, so people train for hours and hours and hours and then they go out and run a marathon or they train for hours and hours and hours for a high school sport or whatever the case might be. And Paul's like, that's the same sort of energy and dedication, the discipline and self-control, you know, limiting our diet and putting in all these exercises and this sort of a determination. That's the sort of energy and enthusiasm that as believers we should have to pursue gospel preaching, to see other people come to a saving knowledge of Christ. And uh, so, yeah, that was that was really the idea, is imitating Paul's desire, his disposition, and his dedication, and just being laser-like focused on what the mission of the church is. You know, uh, Christ commissioned the church in Matthew 28 to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. That's really critical for us to keep in our in our forefront of our minds in everything we do in life. So one of the things, and I don't know if this is part of maybe what you'll speak to in a little bit, but one of the illustrations you gave was that idea of preparing uh, really stuck out to me. Like you said, athletes, we will prepare and train and train, not the day of the race, mm. but leading up to the race. So we're ready. And um, I know just even in life, if if you're not in the word or if you're not ready and that foundation's not there and that day comes where you need to now live out the faith that you've talked about and you're not ready, just how... Um, how easy it is to crumble. One of the things you said on Sunday was, you know, don't pack for a cruise ship if you're going to stand at a battleship. Yeah. And I might be turning that around, but the, I thought that illustration was just beautiful imagery of the Christian life is hard. We, yeah. We're not always packing for vacation, so we need to get in the Word and we need to be getting ready. Yeah, it's 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 easy, and I think it's particularly easy in a culture where historically Christianity has been fairly well accepted. Mm-hmm. You know, and even to some degree, you know, years ago, where you would have, you know, the church was kind of respected, and that was a place where cultural things happened, and where communities were kind of built around churches. And so, if you wanted to kind of infuse yourself into the community, you got involved with the church. Mm-hmm. Well, anymore, the opposite is just the truth. You know, is, is the truth that it's like if if you want to be rejected by society, you get involved with a biblical preaching church. Right. You know what I mean? Like that's that's right. a good way to make that's sure you. That's a good you, way to make sure you're outcast. Yeah, and well, and we're seeing that across the country, right? You yeah. know, you've got prolific business people, prolific coaches, prolific athletes mm-hmm. that are being fired essentially because their association with the wrong quote unquote church. And so that's the reality. So, but, but it changes our mindset. If we think we're at home, if we think we, we fit and we're preparing for a leisurely cruise, we're not going to, you know, I don't spend a lot of time exercising and lifting weights and things like that. If I think I'm going to go on a cruise ship, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it doesn't right. take a lot of, um, maybe I need to pack my sunscreen, but that's right. about maybe the extent the of it. Maybe the arm so we could scoop the buffet. Exactly. <laughs> you know, you're not, you're not worried about it, right? Yeah. As opposed to, well, what do you do if you end up in the military and you're preparing to get on a battleship? You know, yeah. you've got basic training and you've got all of this physical exercise and then you've got all of this mental things that need to be trained. And then you have a tech school or whatever they call it, where you get trained in your particular role and- if we were to approach our Christian lives and the Great Commission that way, you know, just think about the difference it would be like, what can I do to prepare myself for that mission, to, to equip myself for that? It's not a matter of, well, who's going to give me something that's helpful to me today? Yeah. It's a matter of, what am I pursuing? What am I, what am I after? Mm-hmm. Uh, I shared with somebody that I was meeting with recently, and we were talking about, and he was struggling with his daily Bible reading. And I was like, well, is there a need there? Do, do you sense a, a need to be in the word so that you can be growing, so that you're prepared for what God has called you to? I'm like, if there's a need and you've got a plan, then work the plan. 
Right. You know, I, <clears throat> you know, for most of us, uh, we struggle in the moment to make the right decision. Mm-hmm. If we decide ahead of time what we're going to do, then we make the right decision. But it's like, okay, if I'm standing and I'm looking at a salad or I'm looking at a burger mm-hmm. and I'm hungry, very rarely am I going to pick the salad, right? But right. if I pack, you know, yesterday or last night before I come to, to you know, to yeah. work today, yeah. if I pack the salad, then I have the salad and then I work the plan, mm-hmm. you know? It's that and preparation. Yeah, we do that with athletics. We do that with weight loss. We do that with yep. schooling. We do that with everything else. Yep. But we look at our Christian lives and we're just kind of meandering. Yeah. We're like, I'm just kind of on a stroll and whatever God drops in my lap, then maybe I'll do. And I think Paul's like, look, you gotta, you don't, you don't run aimlessly. Mm-hmm. You don't beat the air as if you're a boxer that doesn't know what you're doing. Like yeah. you've got a target and you pursue the target. It doesn't mean God can't course correct, but you pursue with that sort of diligence and that sort of focus on the mission. Like, what can I do to help pursue that mission and then work the game plan? And if God moves you somewhere else, you know, praise him, yeah. you know, but, but there's a dedication that we need to adopt when it comes well, to Well, and that. I appreciate the sense of urgency you gave in it too. Yeah. So. It is terrifying to consider that, you know, I mean, I, I think... If I, if I recall correctly, it's about 2 billion that are unreached people groups yeah. in the world today. I mean, I want to say, I think it was last week that, that people said that we were supposed to surpass the 8 billion mark in the world population. Oh, really? So I think, okay. we're, I think uh, if I'm misquoting that, somebody email me and let me know that I was wrong. I'll correct <laughs> it next week on the podcast. But I think we've surpassed the 8 million person mark. Wow. And of that 8 million. Billion. Or 8 million. Or 8 billion. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Of that, of that 8 billion, 2 billion are unreached. You know, that means they can... Be born, and yeah, we have to break down die. what does unreached truly mean. Yeah, that means they can be born, live, and die without ever having the opportunity to hear the gospel mm-hmm. message. And no one in their group exactly. to, has ever heard it, exactly. ever heard the gospel to even bring it to their They people. don't know a Christian. There's no access to a Bible. There's no understanding of the gospel in, in their relational hemis- mm-hmm. you know, f- sphere. I mean, like, that's a terrifying thing to consider, that reality and that yeah. weight should motivate us mm-hmm. to action. Like it, and it doesn't mean we exclude our friends and neighbors and coworkers right here. Like we need to reach them as well. But there's this mandate to go into all the nations, and that word there is the ethnos, all peoples, right? And and preach the gospel, so yeah. that in Revelation we can see that people from every tribe, tongue, and nation are singing God's praises. That's that's the whole earth being filled with God's glory. Mm-hmm. That is that is the idea. That is the whole direction creation was moving from mm-hmm. the very beginning in Genesis one and two. And, and we're not on the sidelines. No. We're not I, supposed to be on the sidelines. Nobody gets to be on the sidelines. There, there is no bench warmers yeah. in this. Like, yeah. if if you're underprepared, you're just standing out on the field waiting to get hit. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, there's, there's no stepping out of this. Uh-huh. And I think that's really critical for us to remember. So we spoke a lot about this area of the message on Sunday. Was there anything from the text that you didn't get to that you would expound more on? Yeah, you know, um, probably the big one was in that was in that second point uh, when Paul talked about being free from all and making himself a servant to all. Um, but there, at the end of that section, he makes the comment, right? I, I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. And that's an interesting phrase. We didn't get the chance to talk too much about contextualization. Is the word essentially? It's how do I bring the message to bear in a way that my hearers, the people I'm talking to, can understand it. You, you get you get extremes, like you get extremes to both sides. You get kind of over-contextualization, which is people that are like, they soften down the message, they don't use terminology like justification and sin and and things like that. You know, it's kind of the seeker, seeker-friendly movement that we saw yeah. in like the 80s and 90s in the church where it's like, we'll get them in with a coffee bar and 
That's what happened. You know, I mean, that's uh-huh. that's the way to reach unbelievers. On the other side, you got kind of like the turn of the century in like the early 1900s and some of the missional movements that were people with a good desire to go share the gospel with others. But the implication was of you have to accept the gospel. And oh, by the way, you also have to wear a suit and tie. You know, and like that's what Christianity right. looked like. And, and by so, the way, these are these man-made rules that yeah. we're going to impart on you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I, some of it was was probably not intentional. Yeah. And so it's it's interesting. I was even just listening to um, a, a a podcast from a a, uh, a pastor in I'm trying to remember what it was somewhere in the Middle East. Okay. And one of the things that they were talking about is there's this perception that like uh, Christianity equals colonialism. No, it was from India. He was from okay. India. And it was the British colonialism that took place in India way back. So people are like, well, when somebody comes preaching the gospel, they're trying to get you to become British or American. And it's that, like, you have to look and talk and act like us to be a Christian. Okay. And it's like, that's not the idea. But that was yeah. that was what got kind of promoted is, like, you have to look like us, you have to talk like us, you have to act like us in order to accept this message. It's like, that's not the case. So those two extremes are what we're trying to chart a course through. And so depending on, I mean, contextualization gets defined by a number of different people in a number of different ways. So avoid using that word, right, is probably what I would go to. But like, okay, it doesn't mean sacrificing the message and saying what Christianity is all about is a cup of coffee. That's not true. On the other hand, it doesn't mean making Christianity more than it is and saying Christianity is all about wearing a suit and tie. Like those two things are not true. What Paul is doing is he's saying we're charting a course between these two extremes and we're laying down our privileges and rights and things that are just cultural trappings, and we're keeping the message consistent, right? Mm-hmm. Paul fights for the gospel throughout his his epistles in the New Testament, right? And so he makes this comment, right, to to win all or to win some, excuse me, and he doesn't say to win all. Yeah, I noticed that. And that's really, really an important note to make because what he's saying is, is like, I'm going to do whatever I can do, all things, all people, all means, to see someone, Right. But it doesn't mean abandoning the gospel because we could win everybody, quote unquote, sure. if we just abandon the gospel and Absolutely. just make it whatever it is. God accepts everybody. That's Unitarianism, basically. Yeah. Right. You know, it's just everybody. But he doesn't say that. He says we win some because not everyone will accept the gospel. Um, he also doesn't mean sacrificing the message. You know, it's very clear from the beginning of First Corinthians when we talked in First Corinthians one. Right. And Paul says, right. Jews demand a sign. Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, the wisdom of God. So he's very clear on the gospel message, but willing to sacrifice his own cultural preferences and his own personal things for the sake of seeing people win to Christ. And this is where that whole concept of, of the, theological triage comes up again, too, where we're talking the bullseye illustration. You know, what is central to the gospel? That's first tier stuff, right? That is what the gospel is all about. Second tier stuff is really church practice, but it's it's those things that we think protect the gospel, the clear preaching of the gospel, the way the church functions. And and what I would say is what Paul has in mind here is third tier issues, things that you and I may disagree on as believers or may have cultural preferences for yep. as believers, and we're willing to lay down any of those things. I don't think we sacrifice first and second tier things because those are doctrinal, hmm. central, um, but we sacrifice any of those third tier things in the hopes of winning some you know, in the hopes of seeing mm-hmm. some. So we speak in their language. We infuse ourselves into their culture. We try to become, not in sinful ways like them, but in, in non-sinful, you know, morally neutral ways. You want to meet them Become at a like level. the people. Yeah, that's where a really good are, way to put it. Where they're comfortable. That's a really good way to put it. You you meet people where, they're, where they are so that you have a opportunity platform from which to share the gospel. You don't sacrifice the message and you don't make the message about more than it actually is. Uh, it's been said, and I forget who said it first, but uh, what he said is we, what we win people with is what we win people to. Yeah, I like that. 
So like if, if we win people with a cup of coffee and exciting music, then the minute the coffee goes away and the music goes away, which Christian life is not about coffee and music, Absolutely the minute not. those things go away and it gets hard, they're going to leave mm-hmm. because that's what we won them with. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, we win them to the gospel. We yeah. don't win them to our personal preferences yep. and cultural trappings. Yep. That's great. So thinking of Paul in his day, and he he laid out the illustration you know, of running the race, how do we apply that today? How do we take your message from Sunday and live with a sense of urgency? Yeah. Well, I mean, just practically taking some time for self-awareness is really critical. I, you know, there's, there's different cultures. There's different ways that people communicate. One of the things that, like, I grew up in a rural context out in western Nebraska, right? Okay. And there's, there's ways you meet people and there's expectations for the way you operate. And, you know, I mean, You do like, the finger wave as you're driving you the You do the finger truck. wave and you'll offend people if you don't. And so you have to learn to do that, you know, and you learn that, right. uh, that all of the farmers meet at the local coffee shop at five o'clock in the morning and they right. chat about whatever until it gets light enough to go out and farm. Yeah. And if you want to, like, get to know them, that's where you meet them. Mm-hmm. As opposed to like, I'm not sitting at scooters down the road here in Lincoln, just waiting for the local Lincoln people. You know, I mean, that's a difference between an urban right. and, a, and, a, and a rural mindset. But yeah. if you move from one setting to the other, you have to take time to get to know that mindset. If, if I were to move from the Midwest mm-hmm. into California or up into it's Maine, different pace, different, pace, different yeah. expectations, different way you go about things, different you know, hospitality expectations. Even and, the way and, you greet each other. Yeah, or yeah. the way you talk, you know yeah. I mean? Those sort of things. Like, So what you try to do is you try to bring yourself into that culture, assuming you're not sacrificing mm-hmm. a, a moral principle. Again, we're not setting aside what we talked about two weeks ago. If Scripture says don't do it, don't do it in order to win somebody. If Scripture says do it, then don't stop doing it in order to win somebody. But like where it hasn't said, where it said may – Lay those things down for the sake of, of who you're meeting with. So like, or, or, you know, I mean, practically when it comes to like missions and overseas endeavors, this is the reason we take time to learn languages. This is the reason we take time uh, to train missionaries to understand cultures before we get into that culture. You know, I mean, there's like, if you get into certain contexts, like, like the Middle East where hospitality is really critical, yeah. if you handle a hospitality issue, inviting someone into your home or going into their home poorly, you probably are going to burn a bridge. Like you have to recognize and try to have a self-awareness. Um, when it comes to things like this, what, when, especially when we're talking like biblical interpretation, I encourage people to consider the glasses they wear. Like just take time to be self-aware. Like how am I tendent, like culturally, ethnically, gender-wise, age-wise, how am I have a tendency to read things, to see people, to understand situations? And it doesn't mean you can jettison all that stuff and all of a sudden you're, not, you're just going to be culturally neutral. None of us are culturally neutral. But when you take time to evaluate what yours is, it's not a gospel thing, you know, and coming to terms with some of those things, just I would, I would encourage everybody to just take some time and take stock of that in their own life so that when they run into people that don't see things quite the same way they do in that respect, they know, okay, is this really a central issue or is this something culturally I could lay down for the sake of that person? So being self-aware. So just taking a moment in our day to maybe think, okay, is this is this really important in the yeah. gospel or is this just what makes Jennifer comfortable? Yeah. And, yeah. and think in terms of, you know, if, if I was in China, if I was in Africa, if I was in Europe, if I was in other parts of the world, or if I was 200 years ago, mm-hmm. would these things still be essential? Yeah. And I think those things that are bigger than culture become more apparent when we consider it through that lens. Okay, Brad, we're headed into chapter... 10. 10. What verses are you going to cover on Sunday? We're going to look at verses 1 through 22, which is a a big section. I know that, but it's all kind of one unit. So we're going to try to tackle it all in one week. Any other companion text we can read or what can we do to prepare? 
Uh, Give can us I a say, question to think about. Can I say the whole Old Testament? Is that is that yeah. allowed? <laughs> um, it's let's see. Your list just airs Wednesday, so you got time, listeners. right? It's it's you have about three days. Paul Paul moves into addressing idolatry and a, and a list of sins in chapter ten. Okay. He's he's providing the opposite. He's providing the flip side to the argument. Remember, he's he's got these two positions. He's got these people that are criticizing their weak brothers because they won't eat food sacrificed to idols, and you've got the weak brothers that are criticizing the stronger brothers because they're just doing whatever they want and they're they're flexing their liberty muscle, mm-hmm. if you will. Well, he started off by kind of addressing the stronger brothers and saying how they should address the weaker brothers. Well, now now he kind of flips the coin in 10 and he says, well, here's the real danger of idolatry. Like here's the, the potential for participating. He doesn't say with idols, but for participating with demons in the activities that you're choosing to engage in. So he really lasers in on that idolatry idea, that idea of letting our hearts rule themselves, you know, or worshiping something other than God. And he uses a whole bunch of Old Testament illustrations. You know, he talks about Moses and the Red Sea, and he talks about, you know, Mount Sinai, where the people built the golden calf in Exodus yep. 32. And and he brings up a series of illustrations. Exodus 32 is probably the most applicable one that he talks about the most, but there's a whole bunch of Old Testament things that he speaks to, times when God judged the people for their rebellion and their idolatry against him. And so, yeah, I'd encourage you to read Exodus 32, but potentially there's some other references you could go to that section and see what stories he brings up and try to go back and familiarize yourself with some of those stories. That would probably help tremendously. And, and the good thing is what he, what he references here are things that are so typical of humanity, you know, too. So yeah. even if they didn't understand the story, right, he can say, now these things took place as an example for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Right? So he talks about idolatry, and he talks about sexual immorality, and he talks about grumbling, and he talks about you know <laughs> these things that are like, okay, even if you don't understand the story, you're like, yeah, okay, I, think I get that. I understand that. grumbling. <laughs> like, I, think... I, I can understand these terms because like, we do that sort of same right. thing too. Right. Well, that's great. Any other additional texts or thoughts that we can be, pre- be praying about as we get ready for Sunday? I think that's, that's about it that I would encourage people. Yeah. One, one of the things that I would mention is, is at the end of this section— there is kind of a sticky section relating to to communion. He, okay. he compares kind of the the meat that they're eating in an idolatrous way with celebrating the Lord's Supper um, within the church of taking the bread and taking the cup. And so we get this kind of interesting section about participation in things. And that has been misunderstood consistently, right? He says, um, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? So the the, the good say, the, the, we'll, we'll wrestle through that and we'll, we'll work through some of those those texts and what, what all we're talking about there. But the other thing is I would encourage people to read that in advance and take some time to really consider on it because we're also going to be taking the Lord's Supper on Sunday as well. And so okay. it'll be a good way to kind of finish out. We'll, we'll hopefully square some of those things away and then prepare your hearts to, to take the Lord's Lord's Supper as well. That's great. Well, thank you, Pastor Brad. My pleasure. Have a happy birthday. (laughs) Thank you. I will try. (laughs) We look forward to sitting down next week and finding out what uh, your presents are and what you got. Yeah, it'll be a lot of rubber ducks. (laughs) I can't wait. Well, thank you. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to Midweek in the Word Sunday Recap. This is a production of Faith Bible Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. We'll be back next week with a new recap and a forward look to our Sunday sermon. Make sure to like and subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. We leave you with this encouragement out of 1 Corinthians 1.9. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. We'll see you next week as we sit down with Pastor Brad for another episode of Midweek in the Word Sunday Recap. Sunday Recap.